0: I'm sorry. You take them. Okay. I'm, uh, sounds good. Any other announcements? Let us worship the Lord. Amen.
1: We're going to use our hymnals today, and I like that idea because that's how I learned to read music and sing in the church, and I looked at those little spots on there, and finally I figured out some somewhat of what to do with them, you know. But anyway, that's a good thing. We're gonna to turn to number 419 in our hymnals. I am thine, O Lord. And we're gonna do the first three verses of this song. Would you stand with me, please?
0: People who sometimes are not always dependable, a people who are not always satisfied, a people who sometimes gripe and growl. We ask you as a people who are loved beyond measure by the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, we come to you as a people who need you. We come to you as a people who need the fellowship of relationships built within the church. We come to you as people who need to know that we are loved beyond measure. We come to you as sinners saved by the grace of God. And we ask, Lord, that this day you would bless us. Those who are not here for whatever reason, we ask that they would be allowed to come back as soon as possible. We ask, Lord, in sickness and ill health, the doctors and nurses would guide and be guided by you so that they might be restored to us. We ask, Lord, all of these things in your name and for our sake and together we say amen. Amen. Let me invite you to join with me in the Apostles' Creed, which in your hymnal is number 881. As it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered unto Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. On the third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the father.
2: Would you bow your heads, please? Men overlooked a baby's birth when love disguised came down to earth, and sometimes gazing toward the skies passed by a man in workman's guise, and only children paused to stare while God incarnate made a chair. Amen. Uh, I'm reading from Psalms 29, it's 761 in the hymnal, and uh, if you will repeat the bold print, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oaks whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned upon the, over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as the ruler forever.
0: May the Lord give strength to his people. May the
2: Lord bless his people with, with peace. peace. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
0: Hear the prayers of the people this day. The following names have been added to our prayer list and prayer request. Randy Sales, Patsy Steed, William Meadows, Palmer Bolton, Danny Jones, Ashley Carroll, the family of Cynthia Vogt, Julia Parchman, John Dunn, our world leaders, the military, Charles and Candy Blankenship, Ed and Betty Morris, and Renee Story family. Uh, Mr. Ed had to be carried to the hospital yesterday. I talked to Jeff, his son, but he was able to come back uh, with portable oxygen. He does have COVID-19 as does Miss Betty. So be in prayer for both of them. Also want to lift up Dr. Orman Campbell. Are there any others that we would add? Yes. I have a okay. Well, that's what we're preaching about today. So we'll be talking about fellowship today. So maybe maybe it will spark a need in someone. Are there any others? Yes. For the lady that was here Tuesday. Yes, Uh lady that we were able to help. Uh, he was here Tuesday. If there are no others, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this is a day that you've created. It's dark and it's dreary and it's cold and it's wet and it's messy. And sometimes it's just easier to stay home. Help us to realize that that is not what we're called to do as followers of Christ. We're called to be together. We're called to be in fellowship. We're called to have relationship. We're not called to sit at home and make a decision that it's just too wet and messy to come to church. We're not fussing at anyone because Lord knows that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. But what we are trying to say is, God's house is a place that we should gather together. And we should gather together to be able to see each other, encourage each other, lift each other up. And Lord, the names that have been mentioned, I do not know every situation. You know more than I could ever possibly know what is going on, and we ask that you would guard and guide the doctors and the nurses, that those who are working with those who are ill and sick, would be given a reprieve, that if it be your will, they would be restored to full health. Whatever the reason, whatever the need, we ask, Lord, that you would be at work with your grace and mercy. And now, Lord, we want to pray together. The way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Abundance of blessings that we have been given that we never earned or never deserved. We ask that you would use them in this place to fulfill the Great Commission, to start in our own backyards, and then go out into the uttermost parts of the world to tell others about you. We ask, Lord, that we would be blessed beyond measure in so doing, and we ask it in your name. Amen. <laughs>
1: turn in your, to the faith we sing, number 2226, bind us together, followed by 557 in your hymnals, blessed be the tie that binds. I knew you'd have something about that. Let's (laughs) try that again, (laughs) y'all. E
0: full insurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more so as you see the day approaching. Listen one more time. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I ask you to take out a blank, blank sheet of paper and a pen or a pencil, and told you we were about to have a pop quiz over last week's sermon, how many of you feel like you can remember what we talked about last Sunday? Now, it's not going to hurt my feelings if you can. Sometimes I forget <laughs> by Monday morning what I talked about yesterday. But do you remember that we started what I told you was going to be the first in a series of about five or six sermons? We talked about worship. What is worship? What does worship mean? How do we worship? Why do we worship? What does worship entail? And I talked about worship makes the church become clearer in its outlook on the world. We're going to talk about fellowship today. Fellowship draws us closer together, or it should. Then we're going to talk about next week, discipleship. Discipleship makes us purer, more pure, as we learn more and more about the things of God and how those apply to us in our daily lives. Then we're going to talk about ministry the next week how we grow stronger to the ministries, not just minister, but ministries of the church. And lastly, we're going to talk about outreach. So we're going to talk about last week, worship, this week, uh, fellowship, next week, discipleship, next week, ministry, the next week will be outreach. And I told you there were a couple of things I want you to remember, that my personal mantra is love God, love neighbor. You know where that came from. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, etc. Love God. Love people. And then I told you there was kind of a little purpose statement that I put together. Bring them in. Build them up. Train them up. And send them back out again. That's the process. Listen to that process one more time. Bring them in. Bring them from outside into the body of Christ, into that relationship, make them a part of the body of Christ, then build them up, teach them, help their growing status and in wisdom, train them up, and finally send them back out again so they can do the whole process over and over and over again. So last Sunday we did talk about worship, what it is, why we worship, what's the meaning of worship, how do we worship. Does worship mean raising our hands? Does worship mean sitting on our hands? Does worship mean being loud? Does worship mean being respectful or quiet? What exactly is worship? Well, today we're going to deal with fellowship. What is fellowship? What's it mean? I want you to consider the fact that fellowship is a key component of any healthy church. Hear that about another dozen times by the time the morning's finished. Fellowship. Fellowship is a key component of any healthy church. If you don't have fellowship, you don't have a healthy church. If you don't have fellowship, you don't have a healthy church. Let me say that one more time for those in the back who might have missed it. If you don't have fellowship, you don't have a healthy church. Now, what do we mean by that? That's what we're going to talk about in the couple of minutes to come. It's not going to be an extremely long service. We should be finished by 1.45. Uh, If I ever do that, feel free to send Craig up with a shepherd's cook to pull me off the stage. We're going to be a healthy church because we're going to engage in fellowship. That's what creates a church that is strong and healthy. There's another scripture I want to read from Acts, and it's Acts 2.41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, there's that word again, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What in the world is fellowship? Why is it necessary to have a healthy fellowship, to have a healthy body called the church? And what elements are integral to fellowship and what is important? First of all, what is fellowship? If I ask for definitions, out of this room, I'd probably get 20 different definitions. Some would be quite alike, some would be diametrically opposed from each other, some would be dramatically different. So what is fellowship? Well, I think it's a difficult word to define. Why? Because it suggests so many things to so many different people. We often think about getting together and eating. If somebody knew it, right. We think of the social aspect Of the word fellowship and we reduce fellowship to getting together and eating we think anytime we get together and eat it's fellowship that's true it is but it's not only getting together to eat we don't have to have food I I don't think Methodists may have a bylaw somewhere that says you have to have food if you get together because we always seem to have but you don't necessarily have to have it could be a senior outing, it could be a youth trip, it could be having a picnic, taking a trip together, taking a small group to something together. Regardless of the event, fellowship most often means coming together in some kind of social church setting, but it really means a whole lot more than that. If you're in the King James Version of the body, there's a word translated fellowship that is actually kononia. The Greek word is kononia, and it just means called out ones. It means those who have gathered together. That word fellowship is translated, or transliterated, actually. It's not an exact translation, into the word fellowship from koinonia, which is the Greek. The word's got various meanings, and we can look at it from various angles to see what it has to say. But I want to remind you before we go any farther, what is a church and why we exist? What is the church? Why do we exist? Why do we have a building? Why do we come together on one day a week, or two days a week, or three days a week? A church, here's the Keith Dictionary uh, definition of the church. The church is a group of baptized believers who have coveted, promised together to serve the Lord's purpose. Listen to that again. The church is a group of baptized believers who have covenanted, promised together to serve the Lord's purpose. God has brought this church into this place to bring people in, build people up, train people up, and send them out again. That's why we are called the church. Those people that we send out in turn develop lasting and meaningful relationships with Jesus Christ, and they express their love for Jesus Christ through a lifetime of ministry. Now, As soon as somebody uses the word ministry, you know what everybody immediately does? Looks at me. Because I'm the ministry, right? No, I'm the minister. Those are two different things. I'm set apart, sanctified, called out to a particular place of service, which is to preach the word in and out of season. That is my calling. But I'm not the only minister. All of y'all are ministers. And we forget that. I'm not here to fuss at you this morning. Because anytime time I step on your toes, believe me, I have already walked all over mine for weeks. But we forget that we are all ministers. We're all called to go out into the world and tell the world about Jesus Christ. We're called to be about the business of Jesus Christ. What is the business of Jesus Christ? To tell the world about him. It would kind of like being, being a math teacher, which I cannot in my wildest imaginings imagine myself being Because I'm lucky I was a band director. That way I only had to count to four and I could start over again. Math is not my strong point. But something, it would be like me trying to teach math. See, I wouldn't have the ability to teach math. But there are other people who can. Well, we're all called to different places of service, but we're all part of the ministry or ministers of the church. The word fellowship also means participation or partnership. Do you remember, I hope I'm not so old now that I'm going to lose some of you, but do you remember the old TV show, The Lone Ranger? Okay, the Lone Ranger who had his faithful Indian companion, Tonto. That's probably not politically correct anymore, and I apologize for that. But The Lone Ranger, do you remember the backstory? He was one of a group of rangers that were ambushed, and they were all killed. They thought he was dead. Tonto found him, nursed him back to health, and he wore a mask from that point on. Uh, not for COVID-19. He wore a mask so nobody would know who he was. And he went about doing good things. The Lone Ranger. Sometimes we try to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Sometimes we try to be a Lone Ranger Christian person. What do I mean by that? I don't need help. I don't need fellowship. I don't don't need support. I don't need your prayers. I'm going to be the Lone Ranger, and I'm going to take care of the world's problems one at a time, through my own power and through my own strength. We are not called to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're partners together. Hear this if you don't hear anything else, Jesus did not call me to fulfill the Great Commission. He called us to fulfill the Great Commission. Listen to that one more time. Jesus did not call me to fulfill the Great Commission, He called us to fulfill the Great Commission. That's our calling, to go out into the world and tell others about Jesus Christ. So participation and partnership, they don't just mean the work that we do together. It also has to do with how we live daily before Christ. Without you, my walk with Jesus Christ wouldn't be the same. What do I mean by that? When I say without you, my walk with Jesus Christ wouldn't be the same. I say that because I know that you pray for me, and Lord knows I covet them. I'll take them 24-7, seven days a week, 365 a year. Please pray. But don't only pray for me as your pastor. Pray for me as a fellow person journeying along the road of life. Pray for me as an individual, a minister, part of the family of God, just like I pray for you. You're not the church only. You're individuals who together make up the church. And I pray for you individually by name, by calling, by need, and that's what we're supposed to do is to pray one for the other. The idea of fellowship runs through everything we do, whether it's Sunday morning worship, vacation Bible school, evangelism, or simply getting together for a work day. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't just involve the work we do. It also has to do with how we live before Jesus Christ. Fellowship, lastly, has a meaning of community or communion. It means to have something in common. Listen to Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 10 through 16. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. And finally, in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let not look not every man unto his own things, but every man also unto the things of others. Fellowship means loving one another, it means coming together in community, but it also means loving one another. Loving one another enough to consider your needs, or your needs, or your needs, or your needs, or your needs are more important than my needs. It means that we love each other so much that we are kindly affectioned, we have affection towards each other in brotherly love. That means community and fellowship is more than just meeting together over a fried chicken. Now, we Methodists like our fried chicken. It's like the story of the lady who was at the farmhouse and the preacher told her at church that he was going to come eat with her for lunch. So she was excited and worried at the same time because she wasn't sure how much food she had prepared. So she rushed home ahead of the preacher. That was the days of horse and buggies. And she made it home pretty good time before the preacher got there. And she fixed another couple of fried chickens. And so the preacher sat down with her at the meal and he blessed the meal and they ate. And as he was eating, he was talking. He was talking. And the more he talked, the more he ate. And the more he ate, the more he talked. And he heard a rooster outside in the yard crowing. I'm just really proud of himself. And the preacher looked at the little old lady and said, Boy, that is, a, that is a fine-looking rooster. He's awfully proud of himself. The lady looked at the minister and said, Well, he ought to be proud of himself. Three, three of his children just entered the ministry. <laughs> you had to think about that for some of you for a minute, didn't you? Community community. That's what we are. We are a community. And to have real community, listen to Acts chapter 4. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power they gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessed of her lands or houses took and sold them and bought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man according as he had need. When we think about fellowship, we usually think about fun times. We think about times when we get together and we laugh and we eat. But nowhere in the New Testament do I see or have I seen that it is a requirement that we come together just to have fun. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In a great trial of affliction, out of the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? For to their power I bear record, yes, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with such entreaty that we might receive their gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering together to others. In other words, the church at Macedonia said, we don't have much. We're a poor church. We don't have a lot of money. But we're going to gather up everything that we have. And when Paul said, No, 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 don't, don't. The church begged him, entreated him, and said, Here, please take our gift. Take our gift. Even though we're poor, we've able to come up with this amount of money far and above what you could have ever imagined we could have raised. And we have given it to you so you might meet the needs of others. These people were in deep poverty, but they gave to Paul and his companions Not because they had to, but because they were in community, in fellowship. They loved them. They considered themselves to be partners in ministry. They were in communion with Paul. There were plenty of other examples. Paul was thankful for the Philippian believers who were partakers. The same words for fellowship of his grace. Fellowship in the Bible meant being persecuted. It demanded humility and sacrifice, and it was always the result of a desire to identify with Christ Jesus. And it always came about as a result of relationships which built fellowship. So, second thing, we talk about what is fellowship. Is fellowship really necessary? I mean, do we really have to have fellowship? Why can't we just, like, phone it in, right? Why can't we just sit at home, listen on the radio, send in some money every once in a while? Why why do we have to come together? What's, What's the purpose of getting out in the pouring rain to fellowship together. Why do we do that? Is it really even necessary? Most of you in this room, and, and I'm surmising, I'm, I'm making a fairly educated guess, most of us in this room, if we moved to a new town, we'd find a church. If we had to leave, if we moved too far away, we'd move 100 miles away. It's not practical for us to drive back and forth to Henderson First United Methodist Church. Most of us in this room, I think, A church. Why? Because you go to church. Why do you go to church? Because I'm in the habit of going to church. And the habit of going to church means I want to go to church. So if I move to a new community, I'm going to find a church to go to so I can continue the habit of going to church. Guess what? The unchurched don't understand that because they've never been in the habit of going to church. You see, Relationships are the most effective way of reaching out and retaining the unchurched. But sometimes the unchurched find it difficult to break into this little social club we have called the church. Now, again, if I step on your toes, mine are already aching. Sometimes what we do is we create a social club. And that social club functions as a church but it's really not being the church you see the unchurched have sometimes a hard time breaking into our cliques our groups we use a coded language we talk about sanctification we talk about holiness we talk about cornea we talk about words that to the unchurched they're going what is that it's almost like we're speaking a different language and because the unchurched are not in the habit of going to church, then if they move into our community, they're not going to start looking for a church most of the time. What they're going to do is what they've always done, not go to church. So what do we have to do? We have to reach out into the community and touch the lives of the unchurched so that they are drawn to come to be a part of the fellowship, which comes through relationship. Many of us, most of us in this room have known each other for well, or maybe not so well for a period of time. You've grown to know each other, though, but you've been partners in ministry. You have a certain level of communion with one another. But put yourself in the shoes of someone who walks in the door, who has just moved into the community and doesn't know anything about church. Now, the first miracle would be the fact they walked in the door, right? But let's say somebody invites them and they think, okay, I'm going to try out this thing called church. They walk in the door, they're given a bulletin to which they unfold it, and they look at it, and they read it, and they think, "What? what okay, I, I guess it's kind of a program. It tells us what's going to happen next. And then they walk in, they sit down, and they realize, oh, my goodness, they're sitting in somebody's pew. Usually they know that when they feel the warm air of somebody's breath on the back of their neck as they're standing there going, <clears throat> Hi, I'm Mr. Brown, and you're in my chair, or in my pew. Don't laugh. I literally have seen that occur in a church. Literally, someone walked up, introduced themselves, we're glad you're here, but you're sitting in my pew. I wanted to just curl up in a little ball and go dribbling out the door, never to be seen again. And we don't realize what we're doing sometimes. We get possessive. It's our fellowship. It's our church. Not really. Not my church, not your church. It's his church. But it's necessary that we reach out into the community and bring fellowship. But it goes beyond that. If we as a church don't have fellowship, we're not going to pray together, we're not going to work together. Without a certain amount of fellowship, my preaching and teaching is going to fall on deaf ears. Think about who attends our work days. When the Methodist men have a work day, or fry turkeys. I had a ball, I, I never realized there was so much fun in, in cleaning and frying turkeys, as I did this year. But when they get together to do things, they usually get together because they enjoy each other's company. They enjoy fellowship with one another. Who attends Sunday school? Those who built a relationship with other people. Those who don't attend, they're just not people who don't want to, To a large degree, they're just simply people who have not built a relationship. And, And relationship is a word you're going to hear me say a million times in the years ahead because I believe more than anything else that without relationship, there is no fellowship. Without fellowship, there is no church. Without church, there is no hope. I believe that. From the very bottom of my heart, I believe that. I believe what the world needs more than anything else is, as the psalm says, love, sweet love. But that love comes from relationship. It comes from knowing each other. Knowing that if I call in the middle of the night to someone, they're going to get up. They're not going to say, well, could you wait till morning? They're going to get up and go. They're going to get up and come. They're going to get up and help. That is fellowship. That is community. That is relationship knowing that you've messed up beyond measure and belief, but someone cares enough about you to come to you and and say, we need to talk, and we get back on the right road again, that's relationship, that's fellowship, that's community, that's what's important in the church. That's why the church exists, so that we can hold each other accountable. So what elements are necessary to have fellowship? Well, we have fellowship and partnership, participation, communion, and community, and we know it's necessary for the health of the church, then what elements are necessary for building relationship? I think there are three essential elements. There are three essential elements. Those three essential elements, the first one is, we must be together. We've got to be together. Now, you're thinking, well, yeah, that makes pretty good sense. If we're going to have a fellowship, we've got to be together to have fellowship. Why would you even mention that? That's self-evident. I mentioned that because if we're going to develop strong fellowship with each other, then we've got to spend time together. Now, don't get the idea that we can simply say, okay, today on Sunday at 2 o'clock we're going to gather together and we're going to go to blah. And perform this ministry and that creates somehow community and fellowship it doesn't automatically happen but it goes a long way towards helping it happen we can't just simply program time together and enjoy fellowship fellowship can't be programmed fellowship is people spending time together learning about each other loving one another and becoming finally brothers and sisters in jesus christ now there are two main ways that we come together. Two primary avenues that we use to explore strong relationships, small group and ministry involvement. And you're thinking, do we have small groups here? Yeah, we have Sunday School, we have United Methodist Women, we have United Methodist Men, we have youth group, we have children's groups. Yes, we have small groups. Small groups are key, but so is ministry involvement. It's when we labor together that we're provided some of the greatest opportunities to get to know each other. It's when your world is falling apart and you covenant together with some friends to pray for each other, to lift each other up, that's when relationship and fellowship occurs. So we have to be together. We have to demonstrate sincerity. Small groups and ministry involvement are the avenues so people may get involved. But there's nothing that bothers me any more than making notches on your gun barrel. You know, now, what in the world does that mean? That's an old Western, uh, the bad guy would always put notches on his handle of his gun, showing how many people he defeated or killed in a gunfight. So what do I mean in context of church putting notches on my barrel of my gun or the handle of my gun? Nobody wants to be invited to the church so they can be person number 51. 51, now serving person number 51, nobody wants to be invited so they can be a number. They want to be invited because you care about them as a person. Let me ask you this. When you invite someone to church to become part of the fellowship through relationship, which creates the church, when you invite someone, are you thinking in the back of your mind, man, this would be person number 26 in my school class. That's great. Then I can go for number 27 next week. Or are you thinking, I care about this person, I care about their spiritual life, I care about what's going on in their life, I care about what's happening, good and bad, and because of that and only because of that do I want them to come to church because I firmly believe that in church they can find the answers to their problems. I'm not the answer to their problems. I'm not anywhere close to the answer for any of your problems. But I can point you to the one who is I can be a signpost and say, guess what? You're not going to find it here, but you can find it there. Are you concerned about the spiritual life of the people you invite to church? If you are, they'll come. If they, if they get the sense that you're just kind of going through, the preacher told me I had to invite two people this week to come to church. You're number two. Would you like to come to church with me? They're going to look at you and go, No. But if you care about them, if you show them through relationship that you care about them as human beings and about their spiritual life and condition, they've got a really good chance of coming. And on top of that, they've got a really good chance of becoming part of the fellowship and in turn going out and being built up, trained up, sent out to bring in more people. If you're really concerned, and I'm going to use a word that we don't see much or hear much in Methodist circles, If you're really concerned about whether they're going to be in heaven and hell when they die, I'm just going to get blunt here for a second. We're all going to have eternal life. You do realize that, right? We all have eternal life. It's about location, location, location. Are you going to have eternal life in heaven in the presence of God? Or are you going to have eternal life in hell in the absence of the presence of God? It's about location, location, location. Are we concerned about the spiritual condition of the people we invite? If we're not concerned, don't waste your time. They're going to pick up on the fact that you really don't care about them as a human being. Do people really know that you're concerned about them? And then lastly, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You remember I told you about the Lone Ranger Christian? Sometimes we become John Wayne Christians. John Wayne Christians are... Never let them see you sweat. You don't ever show people that you're worried or upset or concerned. You just kind of of hold it in and you're a John Wayne Christian. You can do things with your own power and your strength. You don't need anybody. You don't need anybody to help you. You don't need anybody to talk to. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to say, I'm a sinner, sight by the grace of God. That's all I am. I'm not anything more. All of my education, all of my seminary training, Everything that I've done talking about myself means absolutely nothing apart from the fact that I understand I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. That is all I am. I can be no more. But through Christ, I can do all things. Philippians 4.13. Through Christ, I can do all things. But I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. And I never want to get so puffed up well, my head enlarged to the point that I think I'm anything better than that. I want to be vulnerable to you. I want to look at you, and if you need to talk about a problem, I want to look at you and say, "I understand. I'm right there with you because I've been through that. I've been there. I know what it's like. Being vulnerable is so important. You see, if we're not vulnerable, you know what we get? We get surface relationships. We never dig down into the depth of the relationship. God wants to take us deeper, take us down so that we are vulnerable and those layers are pulled off of us. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? You know that story. I I think all, all of you in the room would understand that story, remember that story. The Bible says they were naked before God, vulnerable in every way. I believe being vulnerable means we are willing to reveal ourselves to one another in a way that leaves us exposed. That's why most people don't do it. Because, see, most people want to wrap themselves up in something and look out at the world like, I'm fine, I'm great. There was a book in the 1970s that was written called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Interestingly enough, I was at Glender's house yesterday, and they had a copy of it. I hadn't seen a copy of it in years, but there was a copy down there of I'm OK, You're OK. And the premise of the book is basically just accept yourself as you are. I'm OK, You're OK. No, that's not right. The title of the book really should have been I'm not OK, and You're not OK, but that's OK, thanks be to God. Listen to that one more time. It's not I'm OK, you're OK, we're good just like we are. It's I'm not OK, you're not OK. But that's okay, thanks be to God. But God God takes us just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. God is not going to leave us where we are. If we give ourselves over to him, he is going to strip away the layers of pride and arrogance, and he's going to say, now, you can really begin to grow because now we see you as you are, and you have made yourself vulnerable to that. So, are we a church that enjoys great fellowship? I think so. I think we have great fellowship. I think we have great relationships. Always? No. Most of the time? Probably. But here's my question. When's the last time you went to invite someone and really told them why you were inviting them? And I hope the reason was because I love you, which might be a little weird, I understand. You go up to somebody you've never seen before and say, I'd like you to come to church because I love you. And they're going to look at you and go, okay, uh, check back with me. I'll, I'll think about it. But really, that's what you have to do. You have to be vulnerable enough to say, look, I serve a God who loves me with all of his heart, and I love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength, and I want you to come be a part of this church. Not just going through the motions, not just being number 51 and number 52, but opening up our hearts and our minds in such a way that we ask people to come and be a part of the fellowship here at First United Methodist Church. With that exception, every one of us has a burden. Now you may not be able to see my burden, because I'm pretty good at not letting you see me sweat. Uh, that used to be my dad's kind of favorite saying, "Son." Don't ever let them see you sweat. Men don't cry. Don't ever let them see you sweat. Doesn't matter what's going on. The world could be coming to an end in your life. But put a smile on your face and a whistle and move on through life. Guess what? I love my dad. I lost dad at 54 from a brain tumor. We had a chance to talk about some things we probably would have never talked about if that hadn't happened. And without getting too personal, let me tell you, did he change his mind on some of those things about never let them see you sweat and men don't cry. And I have too. It's okay to let people know that you've been there. It's okay to let people know you don't have it all together. I got it all together one time and then I forgot where I put it. So it didn't help me to get it all together. Now you laugh about that, but you're probably just like me. You get everything put together and you think, okay, I'm ready. Boy, come Monday morning, I'm going to hit the ground running and the world, you better watch out. And guess what happens? You get up Monday morning and a catastrophe of some kind happens and you forget all about all of those great expectations you had of your Monday morning. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know the answer to the question, but I'll find out who does or I'll look it up or we'll pray about it and we'll look it up together. Don't be afraid to say, I want you to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid to say, I need you to come be a part of the fellowship of First United Methodist Church because I need you here. That's how we build the church, through fellowship. When fellowship is strong, everything that we do will grow stronger. And we're closing here, I promise you. We can worship together better. We're better able to disciple one another, which we're going to talk about next week, discipleship. Our efforts at evangelism are intensified when we become honest with one another and ourselves. Our ministry involvement is strengthened because of the bonds we build with one another. Again, I'll tell you, the very first sermon I preached here was It's Not All About Me. Not going to be good grammar, but I'm just going to say it bluntly. It ain't all about me. But that's okay because it ain't a lot about you either. It's all about Him. And we have to live and walk and talk in such a way that we tell the world that we have a relationship that means more to us than anything in the world and we want them to experience that same thing. That's what fellowship is. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we need fellowship. So I guess I would ask you this. Does fellowship matter? Like you can not even imagine fellowship relationship that's how we introduce people to jesus christ would you pray with me lord there may be some sitting out there this morning and going boy he talked about fellowship a lot didn't know you could say that many things about fellowship i thought fellowship was just getting together at wednesday night jubilee meals." and it is it's an aspect of fellowship But fellowship is really more than anything else opening our hearts, opening our minds, opening our doors, saying to the world, I want you to have what I found. I am a beggar who has found food who wants to show you, another beggar, where to get fed. I don't want to hide it and hold it to myself. I don't want to hide my light under a bushel, no. I don't want to hide my light under a bushel. I want to hold it up on the hillside. I want to be a lighthouse. I want to turn around in circles with my light shining bright so the world looks at me and asks the reason for the hope that is within me. And I will tell them it's because I, a sinner saved by the grace of God, have found redemption through Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. So as we leave this place, as we sing a hymn of invitation, the altar is open. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to First United Methodist Church. It doesn't belong to any group in the church. The altar belongs to God. And God is saying, when we sing the hymn of invitation, come on down. or right where you are. If you need to talk to someone, I or any member of the congregation would be happy to talk with you. If you just need to come to the altar and pray, if you just need to come to the altar and say, God, have mercy upon me. It's not been a good week. I'm not done well, and I'm not doing well. Sometimes just admitting that, God, I'm not doing well is the start of something amazingly amazing. So, Lord, as we sing, as hopefully some come, as we leave, help us to leave this place realizing that relationship and fellowship is one of the primary building blocks of the church of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, those things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray and the people together shout with acclamation. Amen. Amen.
1: Please start in the inbox number 133. Number 133. Standish with Stand. Mr. What a fellowship. What a joyous mind be. The everlasting arms What a blessedness What a peace is mine We
0: exactly rebellion against him he died for us help us to move out of our comfort zone help us to move out of the comfort zone we put ourselves in which prevents us from building relationships or having relationships help us to open up to throw open the gates and stride out into the sunlight and say here I am